I really believe in the power of leaning on community, but it took me a long time of, you know, struggling on my own to get there. Bridget Garsh, co-founder of Neighbor Schools and your host for Work Like a Mother, a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. Today, I'm really excited to chat with our guest, Samantha Bracey. So don't tell my husband or my dad, but I'll admit it, I'm a perfectionist and I'm stubborn as hell. Maybe it's because I'm an only child, but I have always wanted to prove myself, especially when I became a mom. I felt this enormous pressure to act like I had everything under control. But in reality, I felt isolated, lonely. I questioned my decisions, and I didn't know if things would ever get better. Looking back, I realized I was lucky to have amazing friends and family who would have been happy to do more to support me through those first few months. And in hindsight, many of them probably wanted to do more and would have been happy to help if I had only asked. My guest today, Samantha Bracey, shares her own journey from trying to do it all with her first to learning to lean on her people with her third. And wow, I wish... I had heard all of this five years ago. Samantha was one of the first of her friends to get pregnant. She was ready, she was prepared, and she was excited. Then came her first daughter, her first maternity leave, and her first experience feeling isolated at home. Was it supposed to feel this hard? With her husband working long hours, she realized that she needed people in her life who understood what she was going through and that she could lean on. Between her first child and her third, her approach to motherhood totally changed. She found a community, learned to lean on those people who are there for her, and say yes when friends offer to help. What a difference it's made. These days, Samantha is the Director of Special Education at Match Community Day School and an informal mentor to new moms in her school and beyond. Every mom out there would be lucky to have a mom friend like Samantha in their lives. Welcome, Samantha. Thank you. We're very excited to chat with you this morning and share your story. I'm excited to be here. Now, you've spent your career as a teacher. Mm -hmm. You've primarily worked in public schools, Mm -hmm. but in a few years ago, you switched to a charter school. Yeah. So what compelled you to make that leap and become the director of special education at Match? So I had been teaching for eight or nine years in a, a variety of different special ed models. Um, I actually started teaching out of college in Winthrop, which is where I live and where I went to school. Um, And then after I was in Winthrop, I transitioned to being in Newton Public Schools for a while. And so I did, you know, a variety of different special ed models and settings. Um, And toward the last couple years of my time in Newton, um, I had been working really closely with gen ed teachers. Uh, It wasn't necessarily part of my role, but 
kind of informally to best support my students, I was working very closely with gen ed teachers to help them create meaningful inclusion opportunities and to look at the curriculum through a lens of promoting access for students who maybe otherwise would struggle to access the grade level content. And so I really loved um, that work I did with teachers and I really was ready to move on from being in the classroom full time. And I knew that I wanted to make a broader impact. And I knew that I wanted to do something where I could collaborate more formally as part of my role with teachers. And in a typical public school, that role doesn't really exist. Um, and so I, you know, I started looking around for other opportunities. Um, and I, I came across the opportunity at Match, which was an amazing mix of leading and coaching and working with adults, but also um, managing kind of the programmatic and compliance side of the work, which is also something that I really enjoy. Um, so it was really a beautiful melding of like all of the things that I was looking for um, and that type of work and role just generally doesn't exist in a typical public school. When you say gen ed, do you, that's a term that's new to me. What does that mean? Um, so the general education classroom teacher. So like your main, you know, teacher for, for a student who's not on an IEP, you know, that's your main teacher for the whole day. But for a child who has other services, they have so many adults in the mix providing, you know, different types of support. And IEP is individual education plan? Yep, yep. What inspired you to work within special ed overall? I am someone who always knew I wanted to teach. Um, you know, everyone has their own, their own story and their own path. And my path was that I knew I wanted to teach from the time I was young. Um, I'm the oldest of my siblings and, you know, of all my cousins, I'm the oldest. And so I think I inherently have a caretaker kind of helper fixer mindset. Um, but the biggest catalyst for me came when I was in high school. My high school had a really reputable program for integrating um, kind of older high school students and then adults who had transitioned out of school into the community and into the school setting. And so I actually had the opportunity to spend one block of my schedule in that classroom with, um, you know, adolescents and adults who had, I'd say, mild to pretty significant um, different disabilities and learning differences. And that really solidified my love for special ed. Um, I knew in high school that that would be my path. Um, and so for me, it really wasn't a question. I, all, I just always knew that's what I would do. How has being a teacher influenced your role as mom? Oh, great question. There's a whole, I have a lot of friends who are teachers and there's a whole like, I don't want to say mindset, but when you're like a teacher mom, you just think a little bit differently about things. 
Um, you know, and I'll, well, me and my friends will joke like, oh, that's such like a teacher mom thing to do. Um, because it's just, there's so much overlap. You just pull like so much of what you know from the classroom into your parenting and so much of what you know from parenting into your work in education. Um, so I think for me, the relationship has been reciprocal, like both they inform one another and being a mom makes me a better teacher and being a teacher makes me a better mom. And there is a lot, especially in my role as, as a director, a lot of my work is connecting with families and helping them through the special education process. And being a mother just allows me to connect with families in a really a more meaningful way because I can empathize with Mm -hmm. what they're going through and, you know, how hard it can be to hear that your child is maybe struggling in some ways. And so um, I think for me, they both very like fluidly inform one another and help me learn and grow in both capacities. So tell me about your experience working and having your first daughter. So specifically, well, they're, I should say they're 20 months apart and the way their birthday falls, their birthdays each fall, they're only one grade apart. Um, so they're, they're pretty close in age. And so Autumn, my oldest, um, I, there wasn't a ton of time where it was just her. So when I think about, you know, being a new mom and teaching, a lot of that was actually with both of them. Um, but I'm very fortunate that I have a lot of family close by. And so my aunt actually watched Autumn, my oldest daughter, uh, full-time for me. And so that made going back to work a lot easier, um, knowing she was with family and close by. um, That made the transition a lot easier. And when I was in Winthrop, I was still teaching, you know, I was still in the classroom. And so that felt pretty manageable. I had been teaching for a few years. I had, you know, good experience under my belt. Um, I was teaching in a substantially separate classroom. So students with more significant needs, but that's really uh, the work that I love to do. And so it was, I won't say an easy balance, but it was, um, a different type of balance than what I'm trying to achieve now with three kids in the type of role that I'm in now. I can, I'm sure it must be (laughs) totally, totally different experiences. I know from having my first to my second, it's Mm -hmm. just a different world. Yeah. If you think back to that first pregnancy and then Mm -hmm. maternity leave, Mm -hmm. What were you feeling when you went out on leave? To be honest, that maternity leave was really hard for me. Um, I was pretty young when I had Autumn and I didn't have friends who were in the same stage of life as me. Um, And my family wasn't as hands-on and involved as they are now. And so um, that was a really hard maternity leave for me. Um, I was very eager to go back to work because that was where I felt successful and where I felt like I had, you know, some normalcy and some control over my life and my schedule. Um, and I'd say the same, the same type of feeling applied to my second maternity leave with my other daughter too. Um, 
it was it was really tough to have them both little at the same time with not a lot of help and not a lot of people in my same boat. And so um, for better or worse, I was very eager to go back to work. So when I think about maternity leave, one of the challenges that I faced was in your working world, you know what you need to do to be successful, especially if you've been working for a chunk of time, you feel more confident, you just know the ropes and what to do. And then all of a sudden, you're pretty alone and not surrounded by other adults. And there's no rule book, there's no instruction manual. And there's no guidepost of, are you doing it right? Yeah. Yeah. When you say that it was hard, what particular parts of leave were hard for you? I was living in Boston. So um, we live in Winthrop now, which is where I grew up, which is very close to Boston. But Winthrop is a very unique place in that it's like a little bit insular physically and Mm. in in the population of people who live here. Um, So even though I wasn't that far, my family really wasn't like venturing into the city. And so um, I, I had very little help. And so for me, just like not sleeping and, and then physically being exhausted and like not really having a break. My husband was working a lot at that time. So I was, I was alone you know, to your point, like it's, it's, it can be isolating. And on top of that, I was like actually physically alone a lot with the baby. Um, and I am someone who needs to feel connected to, you know, my friends and my family. Like I I very much value my relationships. And so to feel like I didn't have people who understood what I was going through or someone I could just like text or call and be like, Oh my God, I'm so tired. Like baby's driving me crazy today. Like I, to not have that camaraderie with anybody, um, was felt very lonely for me. And, and to your point, like not even that I didn't know if I was doing it right, but I just, I didn't know, like, am I supposed to feel this way? Like, is this normal? Am I like really struggling more than, a typical person might struggle. I I didn't really know. Um, And I think in hindsight, looking back, I think I probably had postpartum depression um, that like never was treated or really even talked about. Um, I don't remember any, any adults in my life personally or like doctors or the kid's pediatrician. Like I don't, I don't remember anyone kind of saying to me, like, it might be a little bit bigger than what you can handle and it's, it's not your fault. Um, so I think that just added another layer of challenge for me. Um, and because I didn't really know at the time that that's what I was going through, it became my normal and I just, you know, trudged through it every day, but it was hard for sure hearing you say that is inspiring because you're so strong to have gone through that, especially without a support system in place. What was a source of strength at that time that helped you, as you were saying, trudge through the day to day? I think there are two main things. 
I think one, um, I had a friend who lived not far from me in the city. We had taught together uh, years before. And then, you know, we just kind of lost touch a bit. But then we reconnected and she was pregnant at the same time I was pregnant. Um, And so we would have, you know, days where I just needed to get up, get the kids dressed. And like, if I could make it to Lauren's house, I'd be okay. (laughs) And um, once I had my second daughter, so I, I had two, you know, two babies, they were 20 months apart. Lauren had three babies because her first pregnancy um, her first son was born around the same time as my first daughter. And then she had twins. Oh, wow. So we had five kids, you know, under two. Um, so as long as I could like make it to her house and just put the kids down and like, know there was another person there to, to talk about how was the night? Did you sleep? to let our older two kids just play and we could kind of sit, you know, sometimes we'd have like all three infants lined up in their car seats sleeping and the older two would just be like playing. And, and as long as we could kind of get through the morning, right. Like I'd stay, you know, nine to 12 or, and then it was like, okay, half the day is done. We can go home and do lunch and naps. And, and I feel like I can make it through the rest of the day by myself. Um, so that was a, my main source of support was that friendship with her. Um, and then with my second daughter, Layla, that was when Instagram was starting to be a thing Hmm. and like social media was more starting to be a thing. And I actually, um, found a lot of community in a few like like mommy blogger type people who were on Instagram um, and who were really real. So people who weren't like sugarcoating, you know, isn't this the best time of your life? Like, right. yes, it was great. And I was struggling and I, and I wanted to be reading and learning and listening to other people who were acknowledging that it was hard and that it was beautiful, but it was also hard. Um, and so I found a lot of support in that online community, even just reading, you know, posts and like quotes and just other people saying like, I get it. It's hard. Do you're doing your best. Um, so I'd say though, when the girls were little, those were my two biggest kind of sources where I could draw strength from. I never used really Facebook until I had kids for, mm. and much of the, what you're describing was my scenario too, especially mm-hmm. if you're in the middle of the night feeding and yeah. you <laughs> have your phone near you. So you yeah. can look and see what are other people struggling with. Mm-hmm. It also felt really motivating to me when I felt like I could help others I'm no, I'm no expert, but I have a lived experience. Mm -hmm. And when I could share some part of my lived experience with another mom, it gave me a little bit more confidence. It Mm -hmm. helped me to feel like I was helping somebody else. Did you flip that switch and become Mm -hmm. a a mentor at some point? You now have three kids. So I'm looking at you as an expert. Uh, 
Yeah, I think in a couple of different ways. So um, I am a, I guess, semi-closeted writer. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a writer, um, but I, I love to write. I write all the time. Um, you know, growing up, I was always someone who loved reading and writing and learning. And so I've carried that on into my adult life. And um, so I started blogging. I started, I can't remember quite the timeline, maybe once the girls were a little bit older, um, but I started blogging really just about like motherhood and being really real about what I was learning and the mistakes that I made um, and also some of the good moments too. But I really wanted to maintain that honest lens because it helped me so much and I thought it could help other people. And then one thing I actually do for my kids is I have a folder for each of them in my Google Drive and I write to them all the time. And my, my plan is that when they're older, I'll, I will give them, you know, a book of all their writing. Um, but I tell people that I do that and they're like, wow, that's such a cool idea. I was never really good at like printing pictures and making baby books, um, but I can give them my writing. And so that I think has been a way that I've been able to connect with other people. And then I think just by nature of friends I've made in adulthood, I'm just further along in my mom journey because I had kids younger. So I definitely do not know more than my friends, though they would probably say that I do. Um, but I think in a lot of ways, they look to me as, I guess, like a role model. Like, you know, if if Samantha can do this and have a job and have three kids, then I can do it too. Um, and so I have some, you know, group chats with like mom friends in my circle and we just share advice and complaints and cute pictures. I think, I mean, I, I'm a humble person. I'm not going to say I'm like the leader of my friend group, but I bet if you ask them, they would say they draw a lot of inspiration uh, from the way that I parent. How would you describe your parenting style? Great question. So um, I remember telling a lot of my close friends when they started having kids that it's really hard to maintain friendships with people who parent very different from you. And I think they were all kind of like, I don't know what you mean, but okay. And now that they all have kids, they're like, oh, I know what you mean. <laughs> um, you know, and everyone has their own style. There's no right or wrong, but I have just observed over time that, you know, in some situations where people parent very differently and hold, you know, very different values, it's kind of hard to like have play dates and, you know, hang out with your kids. Um, I try to let my kids make mistakes and take risks within, you know, safe limits um, to be able to learn from those things. If I am always warning them and hovering over them and telling them like, be careful, that's dangerous. Don't do that. Which don't get me wrong. I do all the time. <laughs> but when I because do- Because it's my, actually dangerous, whatever. Right. <laughs> as I am, my inner voice is checking me, you know, 
is that thing really a big deal? Is it really dangerous or do I just not want them to do it? Or does it just annoy me as an adult? You know, um, so I try to reflect often on the boundaries I set for them and like the guidance that I give them to make sure that they do have the freedom to make mistakes and learn from them. Um, I read Glennon Doyle's read it, uh, latest book, Untamed, recently, which I would recommend if you haven't read it. Um, but she talks about how people often want to shield their kids from all the bad things in the world. Mm -hmm. But then when you ask somebody, you know, what type of traits and characteristics do you want your kid to have? People say resilient, strong, brave, and you only become those things by going through hard things and coming out on the other side. That's how you become resilient because you survive hard things. Um, and so that's really, I'd say, like a mindset that guides my parenting um, is, you know, all I can do is love them and set the best example I can for them and, you know, have courage and faith that they will learn along the way and make good choices. And you know what? Sometimes they won't make good choices and I have to be someone that they know they can come to even if they screw up. I was always so afraid to tell my parents if I screwed up <laughs> and maybe there's something good behind that, but I want them to know that they can make mistakes and I'll still love them. When you were just talking about exposure to real life, exposure mm -hmm. to the hard things that hits close to home for me at this moment in our lifetime yes. for both COVID, but also mm -hmm. for Black Lives Matter being such a turning point in history. And I feel like I've learned so much because I thought that my son's two and a half, how much is he actually aware? Okay. Is this something I can talk to him about? And it's been very eye-opening for me to learn how young children learn about race, whether we are teaching them mm -hmm, or not, mm -hmm. and how I can start educating him and start to talk about racism in a mm -hmm. way that he can understand. Right. What topics spring to mind for you in mm -hmm. terms of bringing real life to your children? I think that what you just spoke about is a great example. Um, we are also a mixed race family. My husband is black. And so my children are both black and white. Two of them are white presenting and one of them is not. And so um, we have a lot of, you know, unique circumstances in that way that we have to navigate for our family and for our kids. Um, but when, you know, when a lot of the recent events were all over the news and the Black Lives Matter movement was, you know, having this giant moment in history. Um, one thing I thought was, are my kids too young? Are they too young to know that George Floyd was murdered, you know, on the street? And then I had a moment where I thought, you know what? children of color don't get the luxury of waiting to be a certain age to learn about these things. And so that is my privilege that I'm even thinking 
do I have to navigate this now? Should I navigate this now? And so I was really honest with them about everything that was going on in the world um, in terms of, you know, all of the people who were in the media who had been killed um, and some of the problems with police brutality and just violence. Um, I tried to share it with them in a way that wasn't, you know, overly explicit, but also not sugarcoating the truth of what was going on. Um, And so we, you know, we've done a lot of work and we continue to do a lot of work to just impact their identities. And my husband and I are doing that work alongside them Um, and just, you know, showing them things on the news when people were protesting, like letting them watch that with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a great example and a very poignant right now example of um, a way that I think I try to be real with my kids. And um, and I think that's a source of inspiration for my friends who are parents too, to see like, okay, someone I know is doing this and I can do it too. Um, so we've had a lot of conversation within my, you know, my friend groups and my, my mom friend groups about just sharing resources for how to navigate, you know, raising anti-racist children, um, which, you know, as everyone will say came too late, but I'm happy that it's happening now. And I'm happy with, the level of involvement, you know, and freedom I've kind of handed to my kids and helping them to navigate it. You shared earlier how your friends would describe you as a role model. You were very humble in in (laughs) saying that. When you think about the day-to-day juggle of having three children, having this career that you're passionate about, How do you make it work? I always love when people say to me, you have three kids, you have a job. How do you do it? And I always, my response is always because you have to, I can't opt out. There's no other thing to do, but do it. Um, And people always laugh, but it's, it's true. I mean, even on the days when you're the most tired and maybe you're having like personal stuff you want to deal with your kids don't care like they they need you to feed them breakfast and take them to soccer and help them with homework and so um for better or worse it's like your kids force you to keep going you know because you don't you don't have a different option um and I try really hard to embed time for myself my husband and I have always prioritized that um one of my, my best friends from college, um, she always talks about how she had kids to fit into, you know, her life that she had with her husband. She didn't have kids for them to like rule her world and run the show. She had kids to have them be like a a beautiful addition to the life she had already built. And so I think about that a lot, you know, of course there are moments when like that's, my kids time and I'm a hundred percent focused on them, but I also am a person outside of being a mom. Um, and I have friends and I have interests and I have, you know, work and things that I'm really passionate about. Um, and so I, I try to make sure that I'm not a martyr and that I take care of myself and, you know, some days I don't succeed at all. Um, 
but in the days where I don't succeed, it's a good reminder of like, hey, you're having a hard day and, you know, being short with your kids because you haven't taken a shower or, you know, meditated or watched a TV show other than Blippi in two weeks. Um, So I I just, I think that's kind of like the overarching um, lens that I maintain is, you know, every day is a little bit different, but if I can steal even five minutes for myself, if I can communicate to my husband, I need a break. Like I'm not my best self today. Um, And we can support each other in that way. And then asking for help. I I think when I first had kids, I I didn't ask for help at all. And I have so many friends who are, who just don't ask for help from even their spouse. Um, And that's like a really quick way to drown in, you know, what you're, what you're trying to do. Um, We are, I I mean, we are one of the only cultures and countries that... (laughs) raises kids in such an isolated way in so many other places. It is a communal community responsibility to raise children. Um, and I really believe in, you know, in the power of leaning on community, but it took me a long time of, you know, struggling on my own to get there. And so I think just having the the confidence and knowing that like your people love you, they want to help you, but they can't read your mind. And so you have to say, I need a break. I need to go for a run. I haven't eaten lunch today. Can you give me a few minutes to do that? Um, and I think that makes a huge difference in my day to day, just being able to kind of verbalize those things to the people around me. So many things I love about what you said. <laughs> Uh, first, I love that you are also in the blippy world because oh, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be constant in our household. And, <laughs> but when you were talking about asking for help or just how you think of these buckets in your life and mm-hmm. trying to maybe not fill them all because that's mm-hmm. not really attainable, but, yeah. but pour some into to each bucket. Mm-hmm. You reminded me of one of my friends and she she often says how her children will go off to live their own independent lives. Mm-hmm. And she's still going to be there as a person. She's mm-hmm. also going to be there in a relationship with her spouse. Yeah. And taking the time and attention to focus on yourself and Mm -hmm. your relationship are so critical, not just for the here and now, but for your long-term future happiness. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it put it in a perspective that I had never thought about it, but it is so true when you look at it in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I very much agree with that. And I think that's also a big shift, you know, generationally. Like, I think if my grandmother heard me say that, she'd probably be like, what do you mean? You should live for your children. Um, but I think, you know, with more women working and often being the breadwinner and, you know, um, I think there's like a growing mindset around like, yeah, I love my kids, but I also am a person and have a life. Um, and it's, I think for like 
at least, you know, people my age and the people I'm around, that's really important. And I think that's one of the things my friends would like often say to me, like, you're, you're still you, you had kids, but you're still who you always were. I I've tried to maintain my sense of self as a mother. So I'm sure that you would have many words of wisdom to your pre-mom self. But at the end of every episode, I ask each guest the same question, which is what words of advice would you give to your pre-mom self? So many. Um, But I think the biggest one that comes to mind and that I often tell, you know, other pre-mom friends and people is um, don't be afraid to ask for help and don't be afraid to accept help. When someone says, hey, I'm going to come over and hold the baby while you shower, you don't need to pretend that you don't need that. Just say yes and take the shower, (laughs) take the nap, take the food, just let people help you. They want to help. Um, And I think we often, and I did this as a new mom, like, no, it's okay. I don't need anything because you think that makes you look weak, Mm -hmm. but it it doesn't. And you need other people around you to survive and to thrive. And I would absolutely tell my pre-mom self, you know, be humble enough to let the people who love you help you. And, And if you need help, people can't read your mind, just ask. And if someone doesn't want to help you, they'll just say no, or they'll make up an excuse for why they can't. <laughs> but nine times out of 10, they'll say, absolutely, I'll be right there. That's great. Well, yeah. thank you, Samantha. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. This episode will be so inspiring to a lot of moms. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Garsh, and this is Work Like a Mother. I'm excited to share another amazing Working Mama story with you next week. But before I go, I have a quick favor to ask. Please help us spread the word by giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way for more working moms to discover our show. Thanks, and have a great week.